0: Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of Game Talk Radio. I'm Greg, as always, and today we've got three monsters. <clears throat> well, how about two monsters and a kind of monster? <laughs> so, first, we're going to talk about the recent news that Bungie is splitting with Activision. Uh, originally, a 10 year deal, and uh, it, it was supposed to end. Uh, I mean,. Well, I don't know the specifics of when it started, but realistically, from when it was signed, it would have been about a year a year away. So it terminated a year early from when it was signed. Uh, we're going to talk about Gearbox and this ridiculous back-and-forth lawsuit with accusations of pedophilia, and we've got... Um, uh, squirting magicians <laughs> and we've got it we've got it all baby we've got it all it's never is this just fine and then uh we uh, and then we're gonna talk lastly about this articles that are flying around about apple possibly buying nintendo question mark uh i say that because it's just uh you know it's just like a an article someone wrote and everyone's picking it up like it's a rumor or something it's not even like it's rumored to be happening it's just someone wrote an article saying that uh that hey yo uh they should do this <clears throat> so we'll, we'll get into all of that though and we'll talk about if i think it's a good idea and what the possibilities are we'll talk some stock numbers put you guys to sleep on your drive home uh hopefully not <laughs> but uh but it is time uh, let's get this thing started because i don't know how long i'm gonna rant on these stories so we'll get started uh, right away about uh with activision and bungie uh, so to begin our first story, then we're going to talk about Bungie and we're going to talk about Activision and we're going to talk about the relationship they once had, which is now coming to a close. So if you hadn't heard uh, la- middle to late last week, the the news came out that Destiny or the, de- the creators of Destiny, Bungie uh, and Activision, who's the publisher of those games, uh, were terminating their deal early. So if you don't know... Ten. Let's see. Back in uh, back in 2010, April, uh, April 29, 2010, an article was written that uh, that described that uh, Bungie and Activision had signed a 10-year deal together. Uh, This was at the time, Bungie, quote, we chose to partner with Activision on our next IP because of their global reach, multi-platform experience and marketing expertise, said Harold Ryan, a president of Bungie. From working together over the past nine months on this agreement, it is clear that Activision supports our commitment to giving our fans the best possible gaming experiences, end quote. So this was interesting because if if you don't remember, Bungie was this is pre Xbox one Bungie was actually purchased by Microsoft and a lot of people don't know this but Bungie was very close to closing and and they were a very small studio but they had they had this game that they were working on a little game you might have known about called Halo and they were it Microsoft saw promise in this game and so when they bought Bungie they bought the exclusive rights to Halo they bought everything and they had a great relationship for probably the better part of you know almost 10 years at that point as well and then seemingly out of nowhere bungie goes to microsoft and says look we're not happy with this deal we want to be our own company microsoft's like yeah that's not going to happen you know we we own the rights to everything we i mean whatever and so a lot of the people at bungie said well here's the thing if you don't let us buy ourselves back we'll just all quit and form a new studio anyway and they knew they'd never retain the rights to halo microsoft was always going to keep that they were never going to let that go but bungie thought they could they could levy they they could they could use their name power a little bit to and and their popularity to be able to get their company name back it was important to them apparently so they came to a deal with Microsoft where they actually bought themselves back like the name to their studio and everything while Microsoft still retains all the rights to halo and so Uh, You know, so it was a weird split. But at the time, they were still working with Microsoft. In fact, they still worked on a Halo game after that, two Halo games after that, I think, ODST and, and Reach. And then eventually, after Reach, that's when it was announced that, you know, we are partnering with Activision for an all new IP. And not only were they partnering with Activision for this 10 year deal, but Activision was going to be able to hold uh, Activision would not, excuse me, Activision would not hold the rights to that IP. So they would basically publish the game. Bungie would hold all the rights to all the games. Activision would just take a certain share of the game and take a certain percentage of the property <clears throat> of the uh, profits and whatnot. So that's that, you know, that was 10 years ago. That was uh, nine years ago, uh, this April. So fast forward to today and they're ending that 10 year partnership one year earlier earlier than it was signed. Now, here's the reason I ask, or the reason that I say I don't know about that 10 years is because I don't know when the 10 years starts. Did it start when they launched their first IP? So if de- if it starts when Destiny 1 launched, that was 2014. So if that's true, they had 10 years from when Destiny 1 launched, that puts you out to about 2024, which we're clearly five years away from. So that's a little bit bigger story. Like if they signed the deal from that day, the article came out and it was 10 years from that day that they'd worked together. Well, then we're only losing a year and it's kind of makes more sense. Like the deal was fizzling anyway, but it's all, it's all at an interesting time because while Bungie left Microsoft when Halo was at its hi- highest, you could argue that Bungie and Activision are splitting when Destiny's kind of at its lowest. And it makes sense because this deal had to be amicable to both sides. It, it had it had to work out for both or they wouldn't do it. And clearly Activision saw something in Bungie and saw something in Destiny 2 where they either saw profits falling, they weren't making the money they wanted, they were nervous about future sellings. And so Activision was okay with moving on. Bungie clearly was sick of the tight schedule restrictions and having the the they argue that well fans argue that Activision's responsible for the the terrible microtransactions that first appeared in Destiny two, and so clearly there was a disconnect there. Um, clearly Bungie and its management has a problem with large publishers. They're they're happy to take their money for a couple years to get their project off the ground, but then they want to be independent again, which is fine. There's nothing wrong with that. I'm not criticizing Bungie for that. It's just They were with Microsoft, they didn't like that style, they break off. But then they sign a deal with Activision, like how is that going to be any better than Microsoft, uh, besides them retaining the rights to their IP when they're done, and they do. So the the idea now, though, is that Destiny will now be self-published by Bungie, which is really cool. Uh, I'm happy for them if they can make it work. I do get a little nervous with things like this, because when you have an online persistent game like that you've sunk money into, you've sunk time into, the bigger hands it's in, the safer it is if it's in the hands of an Activision or a Blizzard, like, I, I don't fear that my WoW characters are ever going to be deleted, you know? I don't I don't fear something like that, but now that Bungie's on its own, maybe they make Destiny 3, and they're like, oh, you know what? we went in a totally different direction, so nothing from Destiny 2 will carry over, um, you know, no items, no nothing, no emotes, nothing you purchase to carry over, we're starting fresh. And that may not be a bad thing, but it is also, there there will be a continuity issue between everything. And so here's the article, now that I've kind of laid out the the groundwork here. Let's get into the article. This is a great one by Jason Schreier, usually rock solid with his investigative reporting on Kotaku. This article was last Thursday at four o'clock. Uh, so, um, the do, 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 do. So apparently this development comes after years of tension between the two companies, tension that existed since before the first Destiny even shipped. We know that it was definitely delayed longer than they wanted. Uh, Bungie, the studio that created and has led development on the franchise, told an, um, uh, told employees during a team meeting this afternoon, framing it as fantastic news for a studio that has long, long grown sick of dealing with its publisher. Employees cheered and popped champagne, according to one person who was there. Quote, we have enjoyed a successful eight-year run and would like to thank Activision for their partnership on Destiny. Bungie said in a blog post Tuesday, looking ahead, we're excited to announce plans for Activision to transfer publishing rights for Destiny to Bungie. With our remarkable Destiny community, we are ready to publish on our own while Activision will increase their focus on owned IP projects. So what's also interesting about this is Destiny 2 is part of the Blizzard launcher, so how's that going to work out? Like, is it going to stay on there and they're going to have a deal where it's purchased through there? They get a cut of it or is it going to get removed and you're going to have to transfer the purchase from there to like a separate bungee? Are we coming out with, is there going to be a bungee launcher in 2019? In late this year, we're going to see the, the, the net halo, you know, the, the, <laughs> the the heaven launcher. I don't, whatever they call it, the angel launcher pad, halo pad, whatever, And so we're going to see some of that. So we have another launcher program for a different piece of software. So those are all questions, I think, that are are important. Um, One of the most significant tensions between Bungie and Activision had long been the annualized schedule, which mandated the release of a new Destiny game or expansion every fall. So that's a big deal, and that that's that's tough to be original and to get creative when you've got someone up your ass all the time about making sure you're done by this time. You know, in a creative industry, sometimes you need time, and they were never given that time. They were always uh, required to be um, released this fall. Um, now, separated from Activision, Bungie will no longer be constrained to that schedule. We'll continue to deliver on existing Destiny roadmap and we're looking forward to releasing more seasonal experiences in the coming months, the company said, as well as surprising our community with some exciting announcement about what lies ahead. Now, quickly, that can be a good thing or a bad thing also. So the good thing about Activision was they, they, they kept them reined in. Now, Bungie might say, let's get wild with it. Let's just dig in and make the best expansion ever. And you may not see any new Destiny content for a year or two. And, and that can be not good, not for just the players, but then your players start to drop off and there's less players playing and it's hard to get them back in. It's the typical struggle with a lot of those persistent online games like that. And so that could be a problem also, and and obviously I have no proof behind this yet. We will see. I, I do feel like some developers need to be reined in a little bit my personal favorite game developer of all time is hideo kojima one of the best designers and game developers out there he's he's an all-star there's no doubt but i wonder about him being on his own and no one there to rein in his kind of wacky ideas how well that game's going to turn out and i have faith i mean i hope death stranding is good but i could see the same sort of thing i think sometimes you need a publisher to rein in and almost be like the, the 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 business mind in the room, you've got the creative minds in the room that can kind of do whatever. And the creative minds will, will, will say anything's possible. And then you have to have the business mind saying, Well, not anything's possible. This can be possible. And this can be possible, let's work together, and make the best possible product. And I think that's, that's very, very true. in in all game settings, especially larger games, you know, not necessarily like an indie game made by one person, like, in the indie market, you want that creativity and you have that freedom, you know, but as you get in these triple A games, the cost gets so high, there has to be a, there has to be a give and take there. Uh, but as we continue, um, for now, it appears to do to be business as usual for Destiny. Two, Activision said on Twitter this afternoon that the game would remain on Blizzard's Battle.net, and Bungie says the transition is already underway in its early stages. Bungie also has a brand new page in development, thanks to a hundred dollar, a hundred million dollar investment from NetEase. So that came back in June of 2018. Bungie took a one hundred million investment from uh, NetEase, which is a Chinese company. And gave them a seat on the board. So they've basically given up a ton of uh, equity plus, you know, this was part of the deal to get away from Activision, you could tell like they were setting this up, like they were working with Activision to break the deal, they were getting a new investor, and they were getting ready to launch on their own. Now NetEase might also be able to help with other things, though hosting game servers stuff like that so there is some benefit to this deal i think as well but it is it's always unfortunate when you see like oh you know you're getting money from american company and and you know and then like, hey let's you know and, and a lot of the chinese uh tech companies are buying into a lot of american game developers so i mean you hope it doesn't end up being anything bad but you're not sure like they thrive off of that business model of free to play microtransactions. like you think it's bad here it's worse other places Um, uh, let's see. It's also full circle for Bungie, which created Halo for Microsoft and then was purchased by Microsoft and then negotiates independence from Microsoft in 2007 at the meeting to announce that deal. Employees cheered too. (laughs) So, yeah. Uh, so, and then, and then the first comment down here just asked Jason Schreier what his take was. And this is what Jason thinks. And he's a big destiny fan. I think this will be good news for Destiny and those of us who love it, largely because Destiny will no longer be restricted to an annualized schedule. Maybe instead of Destiny 3, Bungie will now be able to transform the game into a single SKU that's updated regularly. That's my ideal scenario. So he's saying, instead of making Destiny 1, 2, 3, let's just make Destiny. And then it doesn't matter, like you don't have to have separate games, basically. Um, but Activision is an easy scapegoat. Most, if not all of Destiny's mistakes came from Bungie, not the publisher and self-publishing a game is really effing hard. In addition to the risk, Bungie now has to handle many of the business aspects of game development that Activision was handling before PR marketing, biz dev distribution, et cetera. Bungie has been through this before. Remember when it split from Microsoft in 07, things weren't so rosy in the years after that, I'd say be cautiously optimistic. So that's kind of Jason Schreier who wrote the articles take on it. And then This story came out, which is a little unfortunate, but, uh, this one here. So just a couple, just a day ago, we had a group of investors, uh, from let's see here. Sorry. I had it and then I lost it. Uh, third party lawyers from Pomerantz LLP are currently investigating the sudden announcement, which has been linked to sizable dips in the company's stock. So now you've got Activision stockholders calling for an investigation as to why they're doing this deal without considering other factors. So um, going on to say this article, considering that the Destiny franchise has sold more than $325 million at retail, shareholders aren't convinced that they had all of the facts prior to the split. A legal firm that touts itself to be premier in the areas of corporate securities and antitrust Class litigation has now opened an investigation into Activision Blizzard to ensure that the disclosure was in fact lawful. It remains unclear what or who is specifically the target of the fraud investigations as both sides remain distinctly silent during the process. Unfortunately, during this time stock looks like it has started to recover, however its current $46.50 at the time of writing still pales in comparison to the 51.35 prior to the announcement. So it has started to come back but it's still down. So obviously stockholders are like, "Well, what the hell?" this killed our stock. Why would you do this? And so quickly, as we talk about this, so the stock market's weird. And if you don't know a lot about it, I'm not going to go into specific details, obviously, about how it works. But what I want to tell you a little bit about is how what I've seen of companies that are publicly traded. I worked at GameStop before they were publicly traded and then after. You know, as soon as we became a public traded company, you started to see weird things happen in company policies. They were more worried about the stock price going up. Than they were worried about putting money in the bank how, how messed up is that right that's very very strange so you have more of an obligation to these stockholders in fact it's it's like it's against the law to not do what's in the best interest of your stockholders for good reason but so i saw a company that used to do everything it could what it thought was best for profits and best for taking care of customers into changing into a publicly traded company where now it was the the best thing was what can move our stock price and a funny little tidbit when i was at gamestop it was during many, I was there for 11 years. And so I saw many things. I saw the purchase of Land and I saw the, the, the merger of EB games, which essentially was GameStop buying EB games. And at the time it, it's funny, EB games stock was like three times higher than GameStop's. It was crazy how much higher it was. And they were hemorrhaging money. It's crazy how much in debt they were and how they didn't have money. And they weren't able to keep going without GameStop buying them out but their stock price was worth more. So having a high stock price does not is not always good for the company. It's good for the investors. And essentially, then more people will invest. So I guess that is good for the company. But it's not always what's best profit-wise for a company. As silly as that sounds, GameStop at the time, they bought Funkoland with all cash. They didn't have any debt after the Land purchase. And then they the first time that company ever went into debt, in my if I remember correctly, in talking to everybody, like the the higher ups about this at the time, was the first time they went into debt was when they purchased EB. They had to take a loan out to buy EB and to buy their stock backs and all that sort of stuff. But GameStop stock still today sits at like $15 a share. It's wild. I like how how low it sits and how it never moves. And every year there's always some crisis as to why the stock doesn't move, which is why, and we did a story about this a few months ago, which is why there's rumors that a private equity firm might just purchase GameStop, get it off the market. You know, there's certain firms that would rather own a company like that that just makes money because GameStop makes money. That's what's so stupid about all this. There's all these doom and gloom articles, all this stuff about, you know, the, the game industry's dying, this is dying, that's dying. But they make money. They're a company that's successful and makes money. The only reason anyone thinks they're not successful is because every quarter they have to go up and be like, well, you know, we didn't sell as many PS4s as we thought we would. And then everyone's just like, oh, boo. And then the stock price goes down. It's so stupid. Um, But good for that. You know, if a private equity firm is able to purchase them, then good. And, and, And that firm will be happy with the money that that company makes. And who knows, maybe they'll be able to return them to that time when they weren't so focused on stock prices and they were focused on service and on making money. So anyway, that's just a little bit about how this stuff sort of works. So that's why these stockholders are kind of pissed, even though this might be the overall better thing for Activision. It might be better that they don't have this weight of destiny actually pulling it down, but it doesn't, it's not reflecting that because the market's very reactionary. So something happens, people react because they thought, Oh wait, they're getting rid of, you know, they're not partnered with Bungie more. Bungie makes destiny. Destiny sold 325 million uh, what's going on? Let's dump some stock. It's going to go down. And then a lot of that too is like day traders and stuff, but won't get into all that. But basically it's not necessarily a bad thing for Activision. It's probably a good thing for them. And Bungie, I guess it's a good thing for them too. If if they're happier and they've got a better structure, they can do more, but it seems like they just trade overlord for overlord for overlord. And so we'll see how long the relationship lasts with the current one. Um, that's just wild to me. I, I don't, I don't understand why, what like Bungie just seems to want it both ways, I guess. And and this sounds crazy. I know, but like, and and I'm, I am happy for them if they're happy, but it just seems like they want the big money from a big publisher, but then they want this automatic freedom. And unfortunately, like they had the money to make halo, what it was given to them by Microsoft. They had the money to make destiny, what it was given to them by Activision. So if they have only their own money, what if they start making decisions like, well, you know, we don't want to waste an extra hundred million to make this Part of the game better. It's going to take too long. Let's just release it as it is. I, you have to wonder if those are all possibilities. Um, so, uh, then we're going to move on. This next story is wild. Um, there's so many pieces of this. I freaking love it. This, uh, this gets real wild and a little dirty too. Uh, and I like it. So it's got everything that we love. So, uh, here we go. So the second story we're going to talk about today is Gearbox and a lawyer accusing Randy Pitchford of stealing. Suing them. uh, Gearbox suing him. A lot of lawsuits back and forth. And some just weird accusations, to say the least. Uh, Hashtag no kink shaming. But we'll get into it here. So the, uh, the Kotaku article, though, the headline was this was on Friday. A uh, former Gearbox lawyer accuses CEO Randy Pitchford of taking secret $12 million bonus in lawsuit that Gearbox calls absurd. So there's a lot of pieces to this, okay? So let's, let, let me try to break it all down, and then I'll throw out some of my opinion, as I usually do. So, as the story goes, the former general counsel of Game Studio Gearbox... And CEO Randy Pitchford are suing one another in a messy legal battle that sees both men accused of violating their legal duties to the company. The suit against Pitchford is full of sensational allegations, including the accusation that Gearbox CEO received a secret $12 million bonus from publisher Take-Two Interactive as an advance against Borderlands profits. Uh, Wade Callender, who served as Gearbox's lawyer from 2010 until 2018, so he was there a long time, filed a suit on December 21st, 2018, accusing Pitchford of violating various contracts involving both Gearbox and a separate real estate company that they both own, as well as Calendar's own employment contract. Quote, the allegations made by a disgruntled former employee, this is what Gearbox is saying about the lawsuit, Quote, the allegations made by a disgruntled former employee are absurd with no basis in reality or law, said a Gearbox spokesperson in a statement to Kotaku. We look forward to addressing this meritless lawsuit in court and have no further comment at this time, end quote. Boom. So that's your pretty typical corporate uh, denial. No problem. So this is what's interesting, though. So this lawsuit that Calendar brought against Gearbox alleging these things came one month after Gearbox sued him in a separate case for fraud and breach of fiduciary duty. Gearbox alleged that Calendar borrowed money from Gearbox for a home loan and tuition that he did not pay back in full and that Calendar, quote, abused the privilege of credit card access by charging unapproved, wholly personal expenses, including family vacations, gun club memberships, and firearms accessories, and trying to get six-pack abs. (laughs) This, this is the first one that cracks me up. So that's in the court documents that he was using a credit card, a gearbox charged credit card for family vacations, gun club memberships, firearm accessories, and trying to get six pack abs. (laughs) Like, why do you include that? It's almost like they're trying to make fun of him and make him feel stupid. Um, anyway, Gearbox also accused Calendar of destroying evidence of the home loan agreement he made with the studio. You can read that suit in full below, which I read through, and it's really boring, and it's all covered here, so we're not going to look at it. Uh, According to Calendar's lawsuit, which you can also read below, Calendar and Pitchford were longtime friends whose relationship fell apart over the last two years. The lawsuit alleges that Pitchford struck a deal in 2016 to receive a personal secretive executive bonus of $12 million to be paid directly to Pitchford and uh, to Pitchford entity called Pitchford Entertainment Media Magic LLC. Real quick, if you don't know, like, Randy Pitchford's part of, like, some magician alliance or something. He's a magician or he's a wannabe magician or whatever. So that's why you see a lot of the magic stuff, which it gets more magical down below. But this is just so you know where we're at here with this guy. Um, That bonus, Calendar and his lawyers argue, is an advance upon royalties that would otherwise go to Gearbox's staff. This is particularly tragic exploitation, the lawsuit states, because these millions are being siphoned to Randy Pitchford's personal accounts instead of funding the development of Borderlands. So real quickly, I want to go over this part since we're here. What this is alleging is that Randy Pitchford went to 2K and said, we want to take an advance from the future profits of Borderlands. I want to take 12 million dollars advance. And 2K, I don't know why, but 2K said, "Okay," they gave it to him and Randy Pitchford put that in his own accounts. So then say like the game comes out, say the game makes whatever millions of dollars it makes. Well Take-Two goes, "Okay, well here's your profits minus the 12 million dollars that we already gave you." And if that's the case, I don't know how the numbers would look and this is obviously what they allege. We don't know the truth yet. The law the courts will figure it out. But then what they're saying is so Randy Pitchford took this 12 million dollars and then when the game when it's the final numbers are released, he can go to their accounting and say, well, this game made $10 million when in actuality, maybe it made 22 million, but he got the first 12 and then the 10 million, they say, well, now the 10 million gets separated to all the groups. You know, we do the profit sharing. We do the, like the, this and that. So here you go. Everybody gets their. I don't know 50,000 bucks when it should have been everyone getting close to like 120,000. Right. So that's essentially what they're alleging. Again, don't know if that's true or not. We'll find out when the court case gets settled. Uh, but this is where it's kind of at now, which is, that is quite tragic. Actually, if that actually happened, that's really dubious. Um, that is, that is not good. Now I would like to think that a $12 million advance like that would not go unnoticed, (laughs) you know, like that. And maybe he kept it there. Uh, as a way to not be spent by the company. So he would always have the bonus for his employees. There might be a positive reason for it. Maybe, you know, I give people the benefit of the doubt sometimes. Uh, however, this is the best part. This is the, this is the nitty gritty. This is why you come to the podcast, baby. This is why you watch us on YouTube. We get to the good stuff. So This this calendar's most lurid uh, allegation against Pitchford is an accusation surrounding an event that he says occurred in 2014. Calendar says that Pitchford left a USB drive in a Dallas, Texas restaurant containing sensitive corporate documents for Gearbox and its partners, including 2K Games, Sega, Sony, Microsoft and others. Uh, The lawsuit goes on to say, upon information and belief, Randy Pitchford's USB drive also contained Randy Pitchford's personal collection of underage pornography. So then you're like, hold on, hold on. And this is actually, I want to get more into why this is bad, besides the obvious. So, yes, if he had a USB stick that was discovered by somebody else that had child pornography on it, Randy Pitchford should be in jail now. Like, it it should be over, it should be done. Um, if that's what happened and now that's what this lawsuit alleges. Now, apparently though, the, the lawyer calendar doesn't even know what was on there that was hearsay from somebody else. So there's a lot of, and, and that was kind of a, I think putting that in there was a, a a political move to try to get headlines grabbed and, and it worked. Um, when this story first broke, a lot of the headlines were Randy Pitchford accused of child pornography possession. And you're like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Like that's huge. And there's a lot of context here. And I'm not saying he didn't do it. I'm not saying he did. I'm not saying he didn't. We will find that out. Like the courts will find that. But, uh, so as, but as we look at this though, this is what happened. Okay. Randy Pitchford lost a USB drive in a Dallas, Dallas, Texas restaurant, which by the way was medieval times. <laughs> So we're just, just loop around. Let's just loop it around in this magic theme and this medieval. Let's just loop it around. Um, It's, it's all here, man. He's got a type. Let's just say that. Um, So it had sensitive corporate documents for Gearbox, 2K, Sega, Sony, Microsoft, and others. (laughs) It's just, that's just bad. I mean, I'm sorry. That is, that is not good. That's bad. Ooh, that's bad. And it was apparently uh, before it was, um, before it was like it wasn't password protected or anything, because uh they talk about the guy who found it. Um where is that here? Uh anyway, so then it go the article goes on to say Um Several hours after the publication of the story, Ars Technica tracked down a magic podcast. <laughs> So, again, here we are. A magic podcast on which Pitchford had appeared last year. Around the same time, a Gearbox spokesperson also emailed the podcast to Kotaku... In an episode that went live December 22nd, the day after the lawsuit was filed, Pitchford told his version of the USB stick story. For the first time, he said, Pitchford described his enjoyment of cam girl pornography, in which a woman streams live erotic content. And again, we're not kink shaming here. It's whatever. He likes cam girls, no problem. And explained that he had saved a porn video of a cam girl on said memory stick before it was lost. This is the quote, okay? Quote, it's a woman who is masturbating, Pitchford said. And when she... And when she has some experience that appears as if she's having an orgasm, a huge amount of fluid comes out of her vagina, end quotes. So that's Pitchford's description of the video. Quote, this is not a sex worker. This is a fucking magician, end quote. He added, saying he had purchased one of her videos and put it on a USB stick. <laughs> magic, man. It's the story is magic. Um, so, uh... And then it goes on to say here, some kid, an employee of the medieval times discovered this memory stick, took it home and accessed it because it was before we were password protecting and discovered secrets of my company and future games and development and also discovered the pornography. And it was barely legal porn. This girl's handle was only 18. So that's very important uh, in the argument of it being child pornography. Uh, if she's 18 years old, it's not child pornography, and so that's that that's Randy Pitchford's side of the story. So we have the lawsuit, which alleges there was child porn on the stick, and then we have Pitchford saying no, it was one video, not a collection. It was one video, and the one video showed a sex worker, a uh, magician cam girl who could do magical things with her lady bits um so thank you randy pitchford for that horrible uh memory of you watching that that i can't get out of my brain It'll be seared in there for every time i see his face on twitter or in an article i'm just gonna be like okay that's what this guy tugs to so great i'm glad randy thank you thank you thank you um so anyway um so gearbox sent over a new statement several hours after the publication of this article so the update Gearbox will be filing a grievance with the State Bar of Texas against our former General Counsel Wade for disciplinary proceedings for filing a lawsuit that includes accusations that he knows to be untrue. The lawyer's rules of professional conduct expressly prohibit the filing of documents that are knowingly false. The tell is within Wade's claim itself. His use of hedged lawyer language and clever application of quotation marks betrays that he knows that the impression he is trying to create is based on lies. We imagine that he used the quotation marks and lawyer language in hopes that we will give some angles of defense when we inevitably take action against him for false statements. Wade is engaged in a shakedown and he's clearly using deceit and lies to try to cause damage by promoting a narrative that he knows is false. So that was Gearbox's claim back to the whole story about everything. Um, Now, Calendar goes on to say, we we ain't done yet. We ain't done yet. Uh, Calendar goes on to say, and has accused Pitchford of holding parties in which adult men, quote, adult men have reportedly exposed themselves to minors to the amusement of Randy Pitchford, end quote. In a statement sent to Kotaku several hours after the publication of his article, Gearbox also denied this, saying that Pitchford and his wife hold a regular variety show that's recorded <laughs> uh, and that nothing of the sort occurred there. Quote, this is terminology that the Pitchfords have never used, a spokesperson said, referring to the term, quote, peacock parties, end quote, to which the lawsuit refers, quote, and was made up by Wade in a further attempt to paint a sensational picture that is demonstrably false, end quote. So they have a regular variety show. Is that magic, too? It's got to be magic, right? Like, let's just, why do they just call it a magic show? <laughs> it's just this magic thing, man. It's, it just keeps coming back. Uh, let's see, the, 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 the spokesperson added that this show has featured some of the most respected and renowned performers in the world and has been attended by prominent members of the local community and larger media, linking to various press coverage of Pittsburgh shows at his venue, which is called the Peacock Theater. Oh, oh, here we go. Uh, Gearbox, which was founded in 1999, is best known for the critically commercially acclaimed Borderlands series. The studio has developed Brothers in Arms, Nuke Nukem Forever, Pittsburgh, now it's, well, they didn't really develop Duke Nukem Forever forever, but whatever, we don't have to talk about it. So, so this is, you know, that's, that's your jam. That's, that's the initial story. And then, uh, just yesterday, was it yesterday, 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 uh, a day ago, Ars Technica reports that the Gearbox CEO allegedly mocked the ex-lawyer's Christianity with slurs and ridiculing gifts. So this is not over yet. So in October of 2018, Ten days before video game studio Gearbox Software sued its former general counsel over allegations of fraud, the counsel in question filed a discrimination claim with Texas authorities. So hold on. So now it's not Gearbox suing him and him suing back. No. Ten days before that, we've got the lawyer, the ex-lawyer, Calendar, suing for discrimination claim. On Monday, ours obtained the formal October 27, 2018 filing made by former Gearbox General Counsel Wade Callender. Its existence suggests that Gearbox November lawsuit could be retaliation for his claim with the Texas Workforce Commission's Civil Rights Division. It alleges that Gearbox and CEO Randy Pitchford in particular engaged in, quote, harassment, discipline, inequitable terms and conditions, and discharge, end quote, due to an employee being Christian. Okay. Calendar's claim matches a timeline he outlined in his December countersuit against Gearbox. The Calendar did not depart the company as a voluntary resignation. Instead, Calendar alleges he was forced out after Pitchford began crafting a false narrative about Calendar's employment. His December lawsuit has ro- uh, roiled the video game industry in part because it's included sensational allegations, one of those about a lost, unencrypted USB stick full of industry secrets and pornography. Yeah, we knew about that. <laughs> medieval Times. So <laughs> it's making me chuckle. I've never been to Medieval Times. Uh, I actually... Here it's really cool. I want to go to it sometime. Um, uh, let's see here. So th- this is the the complete text of Calendar's October statement includes details not found in either lawsuit. And here we're going to read that quote. During my employment with the Respondent, Gearbox Software, I have been subjected to unfair standards and expectations based on my religion. Mr. Randy Pitchford, President and CEO, would constantly harass me based on my religious beliefs. Mr. Pitchford would state that my religious beliefs were retarded and indicative of a broken brain. Mr. Pitchford would often visit my office with gifts ridiculing Christianity. I reported the harassing and hostile work environment that was created by Mr. Pitchford to the Human Relations Department, but no disciplinary or corrective actions were taken. After reporting the harassment to the HR department, it appears that Mr. Pitchford's harassment became more severe. After I notified the respondent that I could no longer tolerate the persistent hostile work environment and wanted to commence with my exit negotiations. Mr. Pitchford immediately notified other employees that he was accepting my resignation, which was non-existent. I was immediately restricted from my gearbox email account, personnel resources and access to the building. I believe I was retaliated against and terminated from my position based on my religion, which is Christianity. (laughs) Oh my God. (laughs) Like it just keeps getting worse. Uh, but, uh, so what he's basically saying here, just really quickly, Randy Pitchford was talking mess about him being religious, uh, would harass him about it saying, using the words retarded and broken brain to explain somebody who has religious beliefs, um, would give him gifts, ridiculing Christianity. So this came out before the initial lawsuit that sued him over the, uh, you know, the, the, the lack of, um, doing his duties as a lawyer for the company. So, this uh, this was an update. So after the report went live, Gearbox offered a statement to Ars Technica describing Calendar as a, quote, disgruntled former employee who voluntarily resigned and is now trying to extort money out of Gearbox and calling its most recent allegations absurd and without merit. The statement cites a Gearbox company policy to provide equal opportunity for employment, which points it as part of a company handbook that Calendar received and reviewed, reviewed while acting as general counsel and vice president of legal affairs. The statement goes on to describe benefits afforded to Calendar while employed at Gearbox while knowing his religious belief, including promotions, the purchase of a Porsche, the full funding of his college experience, a $300,000 home loan, and Calendar's request for Randy and his wife to act as godparents to his children. Oh, my God. This gets worse and worse. These guys were really good friends. Something happened. What was it? Was it that they both, okay, so th- that's the facts. Let's let's run this down. So that's the facts. Now let's get into what, what, what old Greggy thinks here. So here's what I think. I think they both had their hands in different cookie jars. Maybe one called the other one out. Maybe they got saved each other. Maybe they got in a fight. One guy goes, well, you know, like your friends back when you were kids, like, well, they're both, you know, they get mad. So it's like, well, I'm, I'm going to tell my mom that uh, you stole a pack of baseball cards from the store. Well, I'm gonna tell my mom that uh, you got in trouble at school for throwing food at a teacher, and it's like, well, I'm gonna. I think maybe both guys had had been had their 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 hands in the cookie jar, so to say, uh, so to speak, and now they're they're basically it's it's a mutually assured destruction. Uh, they both got their fingers on the nuke button, and they're just just jamming it. They're just mm, let's launch these nukes, baby. Let's just let's just blow it all up. Let's just blow it all up. Who the hell cares? Let's get this over with. Let's destroy it. Um, and we'll see, we'll see who wins. Uh, Obviously a story like this, you don't know. You don't know until the courts decide. Uh, I think they're most likely both at some sort of fault here. They both probably did things that weren't great. And now they're both trying to get back at each other. Um, it sounds pretty terrible, but they don't sound like the best people anyway. (laughs) So it's fine. Um, but Hey, Randy, uh, you know, you and your, he's a family man. He's got his own kids. Um, and like I said, I'm not, I'm not a big kink shamer kind of guy because, uh, you know, you like what you like as long as it's legal. Uh, and as long as it's appropriate, I guess it doesn't hurt somebody else, uh, unless they want you to, which is also another kink thing. So, you know, do your thing. Uh, but that's kind of where I'm at. I feel like this just feels like a back and forth, back and forth. Like the friendship was deteriorating and they got mad at each other and then it escalated and they just keep escalating it. And I'm very excited to see where this lands because this is probably gonna be one of the biggest stories of 2019. So, uh, we'll keep up and we'll keep checking in on it. And, uh, hopefully, I don't know, hopefully if... I mean, again, if it's child porn and it's true, Pitchford needs to go like like faster than fast. I mean, that that's one of the, in my opinion, most unforgivable things, um, is to be supportive of that, even if you're not the one committing the act, just owning it or trying to view it. Like that is, that that's a that's a level for me. That's like that's like a line that is uh, to me is 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 un. Crossable, and and if he's there he needs out and he needs to go to jail for that like anybody like anyone else should not just him but anybody who, who commits such an atrocity um, but if you got a lawyer who's making this stuff up too, he's got like certain information that's just his that he had uh, access to but it's not accurate and he's lying on purpose to try to win a lawsuit I mean he's a lawyer he should know better too so very interesting to see where this one goes and that that, that story I, I can't get over it man I mean the uh <laughs> the magic shit man i it just, i can't get over it the, the i mean i don't know why it's just funny to me it's not like it's anything wrong it doesn't even mean anything to the article it's just funny to me it just everything magic and medieval times and 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 he's making fun of christianity which i mean being a fan of magic wouldn't you kind of like dig miracles and stuff but okay whatever whatever i i'm not i'm not a religious man and i but i don't knock other people for being so i just not my thing um, and that's fine. Uh, so, uh, it, it's just kind of like, it's just, it's funny how it starts, then bounces back then bounces, and it's like, it's more and more and more. And like, I'm just, like I said, mutual de- assured destruction, nuke, nuke, nuke. It's going to be, it, it's just, man, it's, it's one of those rides. Like you just, you, you can't stop looking. It's a train wreck. You can't stop watching. Uh, so finally here, we're going to talk with the Nintendo story. Um, uh, to start that up and, uh, we'll, we'll be wrapping up. So then finally today on the podcast, we're going to be talking about Apple and Nintendo and Apple wanting to buy Nintendo question mark. And we're going to see how it goes. So here's what's kind of interesting, though. So this isn't going to take a long time to go through. But a few days ago, this the, these articles and headlines, I even heard it on NPR, started circling around that Apple was interested in buying Nintendo. I was like, whoa, that's, that's big news. Apple for a long time has talked about wanting to get into the game market. Uh, they have a game console called the Apple Pippin. Uh, it is a garbage console. It is not good. Don't buy one unless you are just a collector of obscure and you want to have it. It's very cool. I don't have one cause I don't care to have one, but, uh, they, they, so they've tried it before. Obviously they have the, 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 the app stores and they have the iPads and the iPhones and so they're always looking for good software for that which I think they've been successful. Apple's done a really good job with that store and putting and getting good developers and good software on that store. So the this this headline comes out a couple days ago, Apple's next big move, it should buy Nintendo. And so it's a really interesting article and there's there's it's a really well-written article. I have no problem with the article. Okay, I want to get that out right away. This this is someone who understands business, writing about why it makes um why it's Fiscally makes sense, uh, uh and and to 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 have this deal work out. What I don't like is when people see this this article and then start making headlines that Apple wants to buy Nintendo. They've said nothing like that. There, there never once has Apple said we'd love to look into buying Nintendo. And Nintendo's never said oh we're looking for someone to buy us. It's never even happened. So these articles coming out saying that like Apple might buy Nintendo, that's not accurate. That that's a, that's a that's a that's an attention grabbing false narrative. What it is, is this article makes a great reason as to why that might be a good thing. Why, why, why Apple buying Nintendo might be a good thing. So let's go through it and we'll talk a little more about it. So on January 2nd, the fart, the, (laughs) the smartphone maker Actually, they make farts too, but the smartphone maker lowered its December quarter revenue guidance 8% below the Wall Street consensus. The announcement confirmed the maker's worst fears that a negative growth year for the iPhone was ahead. And I don't think that's anything surprising. Like the iPhone, as it gets more expensive, it seems to be like losing popularity. Plus, you've got bigger competitors. You've got the Google Pixel and you've got some other uh, Android stuff like, like the Samsung stuff. It's there's there's good phones there and they don't seem to be like the iPhone isn't it's losing pop. I don't want to say losing popularity, but there's other people coming up to compete, which you know you can only be. You know, heavy is the head that wears the crown. Everyone's gunning for you, yada yada. Since then, however, Apple has hinted that it would act boldly to revive its fortunes. CEO Tim Cook reminded investors in a recent letter that Apple's goal is to be quote net cash neutral over time, meaning that Apple needs to use needs a use for its 130 billion in net cash. So we'll try to wrap your head around that number first. But basically what they're saying is being net cash neutral. They they want to, if they've made money in a year, they want to invest it. If they have cash sitting around, they want to put it into something else. They don't want just a pile of cash sitting there. It's not how they do business. So, uh, so far, uh, that has meant buybacks and dividends, which is to help boost stock prices and such and payouts to investors and stuff. But in a recent CNBC interview, Cook made it clear that the company continues to ponder to ponder large acquisitions as well. Quote, we've elected so far not to do those because we haven't found one that we said, wow, that's a nice intersection of Apple, but I'd never rule it out. So that's all Apple's ever said about it. It's all Tim Cook ever said about it was that I'd never rule out purchasing a company if it makes sense with our company. Well, duh, that's kind of like what any CEO would say. Why would you ever not think about actually trying? So here, the article goes on while flashy candidates like Netflix and Tesla often get mentioned, their elevated valuations and cash burn don't match Apple's love for high profit margins and financial conservatism. The best fit for Apple may be Nintendo, its stylistic twin in Asia. Like Apple, Nintendo likes to make money. Both companies have similar attributes, mountains of cash, gushing profits, beloved brands, loyal customers, and sticky ecosystems of software and services. Apple declined to comment. Nintendo did not respond to request for comment. This, uh, I mean, it does make sense. They're very similar style companies. You have diehard loyalist fans. Uh, You have trying to be innovative, trying to be different from everybody else. You know, they don't just want to go with the status quo. There's interesting like parallels here between these two companies. I think that's very fair to say. With Nintendo, Apple would get significant exposure to the large and growing gaming industry while benefiting from a vast array of potential revenue synergies. Market research firm NewZoo estimates that the global gaming market grew 11% to $135 billion last year, and it projects it could rise to $174 billion by 2021, or about 9% per year. The gaming industry is one of the few remaining verticals that could actually move the needle for Apple." So that's also interesting because if you read a lot of news sites and you try to read a lot of things, all you're hearing is, oh, gaming's doomed. Gaming's doomed. Oh, the gaming crash is coming. It's the gaming market. Now, that's everything. Don't get me wrong. It's not just consoles. It's PC consoles. It's smartphones. It's mobile apps. It's everything. But the gaming market is growing. Like Games are getting bigger and bigger. Uh, this article goes on to say that Nintendo owns some of the most valuable video game franchises in the world, including Mario, Zelda, and Donkey Kong, and has a library of thousands of games across more than three decades of business. While it continues to turn out wildly popular and well-reviewed games, Nintendo has struggled to gain traction beyond its home consoles. Apple has a few things to offer there. Think iPhone, Apple TV, iPad, and maybe even the Mac. And they go on to to say, imagine playing Switch, Super, Super Nintendo, or old NES games on any Apple TV or iPad which I actually think that's something Nintendo should do anyway. I think you just make like the Nintendo arcade or the Nintendo Nintendo home and you click on it and you can just buy either buy games individually for like a buck or just have a bunch of preloaded ones and you pay for a monthly service. I don't know, but it just, this is something that should have been on iPads and smartphones a long, long time ago. Nintendo's getting into it though. I mean, the uh, Dragalia lost is doing really well. Super Mario, uh, mobile you know did well so it's it's not that they haven't they're dipping their toe in the water very very slowly very lightly um apple could help nintendo aggressively scale its nintendo switch online paid subscription business which enables robust multiplayer online services uh i mean that's (laughs) that's a bit of a stretch enables robust multiplayer online services but okay and access to a classic game library all told apple's ecosystem powers 1.4 billion active devices so that's not a bad thing, right? So they're saying that Apple could grow Nintendo's brand and put it on more devices than ever before. But also part of Nintendo's charm, I think, is that they haven't blown up into every device. They're not in your face everywhere. So growing and stretching and being that big isn't always a good thing. Sometimes you lose like the magic. You lose the you lose that, that um, individualism that, that they have as a company and as a brand. They're going to lose that if they get stretched too far and too too big, in my opinion. Uh the company could also increase Nintendo's development of smartphone games. Morgan Stanley estimates that more than 70% of App Store spending is tied to game-related apps. So they're just saying that they could make more apps faster with Nintendo's help and their properties as opposed to the slow trickle that Nintendo's doing now, again, dipping their toe in the water. Um, Nintendo content, meanwhile, would help Apple drive engagement, recurring revenue, and customer satisfaction, all while boosting demand for Apple hardware. Perhaps the best part of the deal, Apple may be able to acquire the highest quality video game publisher in the world at a reasonable price. They go on to say Nintendo has a market value of $34 billion, but Nintendo is conservative with its capital and has approximately $9.6 billion in net cash. Just sit around. That gives the company an enterprise value of about $24 million. If Apple offered a 50% premium to Nintendo's market value, a deal that Nintendo would have to consider, that's basically enough where they have to like give it to their stock, uh, their, their, Shareholders have had to decide, you know, um, the price tag would come to roughly 40 billion. And if you remember up here, we talked about how Apple has 135, uh, no, that was wrong. Uh, they have 130 billion in net cash laying around. So that's not even a third. Yeah. Of what they have, um, laying around just an extra cash. Uh, and so, uh, and they go on the Kyoto Japan based company's American depository receipts have declined nearly 40% from early 2018 amid concerns that Nintendo's lighter software slate this year will detract from its ability to meet its Switch hardware sales forecast. Investors are now too pessimistic about Nintendo's prospects. The market could be surprised by Nintendo's holiday momentum, boosted by the strength of Super Smash Bros. Ultimate, and will enable the publisher to hit its March fiscal year target of 20 million Switch units sold. Uh, And then it goes on to say Apple can learn from Microsoft, the company that surpassed in its market value late last year. The software giant jumped into video games with the Xbox in 2001. A platform that has morphed into a major online service. In its latest quarter, Microsoft reported gaming revenue growth of 44%, driven by Xbox software and services. The monthly user base of its Xbox Live service grew by 8% to 57 million. Sony's own paid game service offering called PlayStation Plus had 34 million as of September. Take Nintendo's content and Apple's scale and the combined company could quickly jump ahead of Microsoft and Sony. Today, investors value Microsoft at 22 times estimated 2019 earnings, while Apple trades at just over 12 times thanks to its hardware centric perception. The game plan is clear. Your move, Apple. And that's the end of the article. So it's really cool. I mean, it's a, it's a really cool hypothetical and I could see this working. I really could imagine only being able to play Nintendo on Apple hardware. You're telling me that you wouldn't sell a ton of iPads and you could call it the, the, you know, the, you'd still call it the Nintendo, like the Apple Nintendo or whatever. I don't know how you'd brand it. You know, I'm, I'm not in charge of that, but I could see that working. You take Nintendo or, you know, Apple that's known for its hardware and then you get a company that's known for its software and you mash those two together. I don't see how it couldn't be good. Uh, so I actually think this is neat. I think it's a neat idea and I'd love to see it. I think if they made this announcement, it would shake the gaming world up big time, Um but I don't think it'll happen. You know, just sorry to say like anybody who thinks this would be great. I I don't think it'll happen. I don't think we'll see it. I would, I think it's a good idea. I I could see it working, but Nintendo's seeing great growth right now. Like they're seeing a positive reaction. They're not in a low point. You know, after the Wii U dropped, I could have seen something like this happening after the GameCube, after the, um, you know, I could have seen it, but Nintendo always kind of has its ups and downs and they always ride out the downs and come back with, with an up. And so I don't, I don't see them doing it, but if they make an offer that strong, it has to be considered, and if enough people on the board, it's possible. It's possible, but again, you also have essentially an American company trying to buy a Japanese company. A lot of Japanese people, they don't, they don't like, um, they don't like that idea, and, and so you'll see almost more of an honor sort of thing. It's not always about money there. Like I think in the U.S., it's it's everything's more funded by money, the capitalistic kind of mindset, uh, and there they still hold on to some. There, there are still a little more values of things like honor and, and not wanting to sell to a a different company and such like that, or a different company in a different country sort of thing. Um, but again, if it makes sense and it's, it becomes a global company who, who knows, it could be a powerhouse and it would definitely be a competitor. That's for, that's for damn sure. Um, but then I just want to go back to my initial point though, which was, this was just a hypothetical article that someone wrote the idea, like it's never been floated anywhere. And in fact, this isn't even new. So I did a quick search, right? And, uh, so here we have three days ago is the article I was just telling you about February 13th, 2018. So a year ago, Apple should buy Nintendo on the Mac, Mac rumors forums. Should Apple buy Nintendo GB times wrote an article. Uh, I don't see the date on that one here. March 20th, 2017. Should Apple buy Nintendo? Like they've been talking about this for a long time. So this isn't even anything new. This thought has always been kind of there. But like I said, when I see a story like this come out, an opinion piece come out, which is really neat and interesting to read. And then people morph that into, people morph that into, oh, there's rumors that Apple's buying Nintendo. I hate that. Like, that's not what's happening. That's not true at all. So just read the article for it is. It's a fun opinion piece. Do some research and be happy with it. And uh, all right, and that's, so that's pretty much it for the podcast today. And I did what I always forget to do, everybody, if you listen for a long time. I forgot to pick my game of the week. I forgot to do it again. So as I'm talking to you here, I'm going to try not to turn my head so the audio quality doesn't get too crappy. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to look at my games, and I'm going to try to pick one that I can tell you to play because it's good, and then we'll see. Um, I'm looking, I'm looking, I'm looking... I'm looking. Oh no, I'm looking. I'm looking. I will find one, huh? Just, just hold on. Just, just, just calm down. Relax. It just relax. Um, let's see here. Let's talk about. No, let's not talk about that. Uh, let's talk about. Let's talk about the Warriors. Let's just pick one. You know, I got a million good games. Let's just pick one. So. I own a copy of The Warriors on PS2. Uh, This game kicks ass. So, I played this game uh, for the first time when it came out, and I had never seen the movie. The movie, it's based off a movie from the early 80s or late 70s. I think it's early 80s. And the movie's incredible. If you've never seen the movie, uh, here's how I know it's incredible it holds up. Like, I watched it after playing this game and it held up, I was like, Holy crap. Like I'd, I'd watch this again. And every time it's on TV. Yeah. I'm watching the warriors. Like I, I love it. So anyway, about it, um, about the movie. So the movie follows a gang, uh, called the warriors. And it basically, it's like these eighties, New York city gangs. And they're from Coney Island and like gangs have all this different territory. And the start of the movie is that this one, the the main guy brings all the gangs together and he wants to, he wants to um, unite all the gangs of New York. And then during that rally, someone kills and murders them and then blames it on the Warriors. Now, the Warriors don't do it. That's not a spoiler. Like, you know, they don't do it. And the Warriors are kind of weird because they almost have like this good guy vibe going on, but they're technically a gang of like thugs and they beat people up. But so the that's the movie plot. And then the movie plot is them trying to get from where they were back home to Coney Island. So they're like, we have to... Um, like they have to take trains, and then and then uh, there's like this kind of underground radio station that that talks about what's going on. It's narrated actually by the the woman who was uh the host of the Where in the World Is Carmen D- San Diego TV show. Like, let's go gum shoes. So that lady, she's like the radio voice, and. And so they're saying things like, you know, oh, you know, the warriors were last seen here, you know, and there's like a, a bounty on their head. Like if you kill the warriors or bring them back, then you get paid a bunch of money. So all the gangs in New York are essentially hunting down the warriors and it's their journey of getting back to Coney Island. It's really, really cool. And, and every one of the gangs has a thing. Like there's a gang called the the baseball furies and uh, they wear like baseball suits and makeup and have baseball bats. Like, it's just, it's just cool. Honestly. Uh, and then there's, like, a, a woman's gang that, that tricks them into thinking they're going to bang, and then they don't. Um, so, anyway, so then Rockstar Games, Rockstar, makes a Warriors game. And they make it as a prequel to the movie. So, it's it's actually, like... I mean, Canon, I guess I would say. So it's, it, it like fits. And so you, uh, and it's two player co-op. It's like, it's like an old school beat em up, two players. One of the mechanics is you can throw people and you can literally throw people through like storefront glass windows. It's freaking sweet. And so you're like, ah, you just throw them through the window. Um, but it's, it's on PS2 and original Xbox. I don't think it's on PC. Um, but uh, it's, it's super cool. Uh, and it's just, it's just a good kind of beat em up brawler. And uh, yeah, and it takes place. If you like the movie, it's like a, it's an extra part of the story. It's not just a recreation of the movie. And so it's, it's, it's worth playing. I highly recommend it. Um, it's really, really fun. I, I, like this. I like this movie a lot too. So definitely check it out. Uh, check out both. So as always, everybody, thank you for listening and watching. If you're listening to this on iTunes, if you go to youtube.com slash drop rate, that's our YouTube channel. would love to have you sub. I think it'd be really awesome. Uh, anybody who listens to the podcast could subscribe. It'd be great. Uh, if you are listening to this on YouTube and you want you can subscribe to us on iTunes just go to the podcast app and search for Game Talk Radio look for me wearing my Game Trade shirt that's the little uh, green logo over here uh and um yeah i mean and you can listen to us on SoundCloud too but why bother just listen to it on iTunes <laughs> it's just better um but thank you everybody's always for listening and watching it's been an incredible start to the year already we uh we're we're getting close to breaking 4000 subs we're getting there just doing the grind, you know? Um, if you haven't, uh, I did a video I'm really proud of. It, it needs some work, don't get me wrong, but I'm really proud of it was a uh, top 10 controversies of 2018. And uh, I, I really am proud of that. Uh, it was my first fully edited, uh, recorded content video, and I really liked it. And it kind of was, it was like my recap of 2018 since a lot of times I do news stories and stuff. So if you check out our YouTube channel and you check out that video or um, you can find it. I've, I've tweeted it out too. You can follow me on Twitter at Game Trade Greg. That's Greg with two G's at the end. Um, uh, also, I don't. Um it's over now because the Packer season's over, but I also do a Madden matchup uh, that I put on Twitter, basically with the local radio news, uh, rate, local uh, sports talk radio. I go on there with those guys and we, every week before a Packer game, we simulate it in Madden and we talk about how it went. Uh, how it went. So, um, <laughs> but anyway, thank you again, as always for listening and watching. I appreciate you. And as long as you keep listening, I'll keep talking. Have a good day. Bye-bye.